0: Welcome to the Preaching and Teaching Ministry of Marion Oaks Assembly of God in Ocala, Florida. We invite you to open your Bible as we join Pastor Tim McIntyre for today's message for Bible study. Tonight we continue the study of the life of Peter, subtitled, From Fisherman to Follower of Jesus. Okay? And uh, start off with a question and an illustration. Have you ever stuck your foot in your mouth? I don't mean literally. You know, we probably all did that as babies, sucking on our big toe or whatever. But, you know, saying the wrong thing at the wrong time, you know, I, the worst situation I ever had. I mean, we've all done that, right? Is um, I was pastoring about 30 years ago in a little, uh, a smaller church in a little mining town in Arizona, one of the places we've been. And I got up on a Sunday morning, and um, I stood there, and this is literally what I said. I said, this morning, I'm going to do something I very seldom do. I'm going to expose myself to you. (laughs) What I meant was I was going to share my deepest inner feelings. But that's what came out. And as soon as I said, I thought that wasn't right. My wife was sitting down there. The head deacon was sitting down there. They got these funny looks on their faces. They're just kind of sitting. They looked at each other and they burst into laughter, just like you just did. So anyway, you know, sometimes we say things without really thinking it through. The first thing that comes to our mind, we word things wrong and we end up sticking our foot in our mouth. And that's kind of the way Peter was, right? Right. I mean, he was just an enthusiastic guy, and it wasn't just what he said, what he did. I mean, he just said or did the first thing that came to his mind, and he did it with everything he had, right? And um, he's always asking questions, always saying the first thing that comes to his mind. Sometimes it's right and good. Sometimes it's wrong. Um, kind of Bible trivia or Bible knowledge. What are some of the things that he said that really he should not have said or were the wrong thing to say from his story of his life? When he claimed that he would not deny him, he'd be willing to die for him. Now, it's a good thing to say, but obviously it, it didn't hold true, right? What are some other things that he said? Chris. Yeah, when Jesus, uh, you know, Jesus told his disciples three, four times uh, through the course of the last part of his ministry that, you know, we're going to Jerusalem, I'm going to end up being killed. And one of those times Peter says, no, Lord. I mean, and think of those two words, no, Lord. <laughs> Kind of a contradiction, right? Yeah, yeah. How about when Jesus was going to wash his feet? You're not going to wash my feet. Right? And then when Jesus says, if I don't wash your feet, you have nothing to do with me. So, okay, wash all of me. <laughs> you know, again, the first thing that comes out of his mouth, um, the first thing that comes into his mind comes out of his mouth. One that's not as well known is uh, it's a little teeny tiny story in the Gospels. You may recognize it when I tell you. You may be like, that's in the story of Jesus. One day... Peter comes across this guy who collects taxes. And the guy says, do you and your master pay the tax? It was a certain type of tax. And Peter says, of course he does. And he goes back to Jesus and says, do we pay the tax? (laughs) I mean, he didn't know, but he didn't want Jesus to get in trouble. And, uh, And Jesus basically said, you know, do the children of the people that are collecting tax have to pay tax? And basically the answer was, you know, he's the son of the father. He shouldn't have. But he says, just so that, you know, nobody will be offended or whatever. Go out and go fishing. That's what you're good at. And when you catch a fish, in the mouth of the fish will be the money to pay the tax. So anyway. So what are some things that he said that were right, that were good? You are the Christ, son of the living God. We're going to look at that next week. What did you say, Sharon? After the day of Pentecost, he said, "Repent and be baptized." You know, he didn't have near as much of a problem after he, <laughs> after the resurrection and the Holy Spirit came. Um, there's a lesson there. He got a little gunshot there when I, you know, killed and Eat. Mm-hmm. No Lord, I'm not to eat anything That's time true. Time. He told Lord, "No," again <laughs> after Pentecost when and God told him to eat the animals. Side, but he told him three times. yeah. Three is Peter's number. Yes, it is. <laughs> Jesus also asked him three times, do you love me? Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, today we're going to look at another time that he said something right. Okay. Um, Peter, as we're probably most familiar with, uh, most of us are familiar, he was uh, the primary leader of the 12 disciples, the one who basically spoke for them, um, not because Jesus told him he was or should be that this recorded in Scripture, but he just kind of stepped Just like everything else, stepped forward and became the leader. He was also one of the inner three, you know, Peter, James, and John. He was very impulsive. I came across this quote. I like this. It says, Simon Peter had the best of intentions, but he often failed. He strived to follow the Lord, but many times got sidetracked. He wasn't perfect, but he was teachable. Peter relates to everybody, for in spite of errors, he remained at the forefront of the Lord's work. When Christians fail temporarily in their assignments, they remember Simon and believe that if he could, su- could, su- if he could succeed, so can they. <laughs> and as we said when we started this series, that Peter is so relatable because he did a lot of things right, but he did a lot of things wrong. But when he did it wrong, he picked himself back up, and Jesus never rejected him, and he restored him, and he used him. So it gives us hope. Mm-hmm. But the title of the lesson tonight is To Whom Shall We Go?, To whom shall we go? We're looking at John chapter 4. The focus is verse 48 to 71, but we're actually going to start reading a little bit earlier than that. I'm sorry, John chapter 6. I saw John 6, 48, and my my eye caught the four. John 6, the text is 48 to 71, but we're going to start reading up in 25 in just a second. But let me give you the background, okay? So you've got the context. The day before this was the day that Jesus said, let's get away. They're exhausted um, they just learned that John the Baptist had been killed. The disciples just came back from a preaching tour. They're tired. They need a vacation. They need a retreat. They got on the boat. They went to the other side of the lake, and the people saw where they were going, and they traipsed around the outside of the lake, and they met them there, and there was probably ten, fifteen thousand 15,000 people, and the disciples were probably like, let's leave again, and Jesus says, no, we've got to help them. They're harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. He taught them all day long. He fed the 5,000 men, plus women and children. That's why I say ten to 15,000 people. And then he sends his disciples out on the lake to go back and he goes up into the hills. And that's when the storm is there. Peter gets out and walks on the water when they see Jesus, that whole thing. And now they're back on the other side of the lake. So all this stuff has happened in the last 24 hours. And the Bible says that Jesus is teaching in the synagogue. Now, remember what happened the day before. 5,000 men plus their wives and children were all fed for free in a miraculous way. And the context seems to indicate that they're looking for Jesus because they want some more of the same. Okay. And so Jesus, uh, he fed them because he cared about them. He cared that their needs were met. But he wants them to understand that there are some things that are a lot more important than your physical needs. And there's a bread that's much more significant than the physical bread. And so he takes this as an opportunity to teach them about the fact that he is the bread of life, that he can offer them something much better than the actual physical bread he gave them the day before. And so we're going to read through what he said and their conversation back and forth. And it's just it's kind of amazing to me. They are so stuck in this thing about keep feeding us bread, you know, keep giving it away for free, you know. And he keeps steering it back to spiritual things, and they keep saying, well, give us more bread. Not literally those words, but that's back and forth. So as we read through this, notice how it goes back. He's talking about spiritual things. I've got something much better than bread. And they keep saying, well, just keep giving us the bread. And then he gets, I won't say he gets frustrated, but he kind of ups the ante, I guess they call it. And he says something that is so controversial. He's doing it to get their attention, and it helped them realize he's talking about something much more important than physical things. But they refuse to examine it and really believe it. Okay, so let's jump in. Verse 25. When the people found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Because they didn't see him get into the boat. They don't know how in the he got over there. They knew the disciples had gotten the boat. Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. He says, you're not looking for me because of some spiritual reasons because you were, had a good time at the buffet yesterday. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. He says, listen, don't be living, don't be looking, don't be seeking just for food to satisfy your physical hunger. There's something much better and I can give it to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, what must, we be, what must we do to be doing the works of God? They're basically saying, okay, what does God want us to do so we can get the free bread? <laughs> <laughs> Jesus answered them, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. Amen. Okay? He says, this is, the, this is what you need to do. You need to believe in me. All right? And all that that means, all that he is, all he's going to do. So they said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work will you perform? And we're just saying, well, do something like you did yesterday and give us some bread. <laughs> All right, that's kind of in the back of their mind. We know it because the next verse, he says, our fathers ate manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. And we're just, you know what? When our ancestors were in the wilderness, God gave them bread every day. That's kind of the idea that's there. All right. Jesus then said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. So he's steering back to the true bread. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. He's steering it back. You know, I've got something to give you that's much better than this bread. They said to him, sir, give us this bread always. They're talking about the physical again. Okay. It reminds me, and a lot of Bible scholars compare this to John chapter 4 when there's the woman at the well, and she's thirsty. And she says, I've got water that's better than this water. And if you drink it, you will never be thirsty. She says, give me this kind of water. You know, she's thinking the physical. He's talking about the spiritual. Fortunately, she finally understood what he was talking about and accepted him as Messiah and brought a bunch of people to Jesus. Well, this crowd's going a different direction. So verse 34, they said to him, sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. See, he's making it very clear. It's him. It's believing in him. It's not a physical thing. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I've come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he's given to me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. So he's gone into preaching mode, talking all about spiritual things. I've got eternal life. If you'll look to me, if you'll believe in me, I've got eternal life for you. So the Jews grumbled about him because he says, I'm the bread that came down from heaven. I can't help but wonder they're saying, we want physical bread. (laughs) Why are you talking about all this spiritual stuff? Okay. Uh, so they grumbled because he said, I'm the brother who came down from heaven. They said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know, how does he now say I've come down from heaven? Jesus answered them. Do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him. I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Whereas if you're paying attention to God, you will come to me. You'll, you'll take of this bread. You'll believe in me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I think it's the third time he's talked about belief, 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 belief in him. All right, Verse 48, he says it again. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I'm the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I give, the bread that I will give for life, I'm sorry, and the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Okay, so he's saying, you know, I'm the bread of life. Okay, we're talking about bread. This is spiritual. It's believing on me. It's believing on me. I came down from heaven. If you eat of this bread, and it's obvious up to this point he's talking about, if you come to me, if you trust in me, if you look to me, if, you're, if you believe in me, you will have life. Okay? And the cost is going to be my flesh. It's going to be my life. All right? Verse 52. This is where we pick up the controversial part. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Well, up to this point, it's obvious he's not talking about giving his flesh to eat. He's talking about coming to him and believing in him. So Jesus says, OK, I'm going to row your cages a little bit. Verse 53. So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood, you will have no life in you. <laughs> so I'm not getting their attention. I'll get their attention now. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. So he, he basically goes the direction they're going and, and, and he throws it out that really make them think. And they just take him literally where everything leading up to it, it's very clear he's talking spiritually. He even says something a little bit later on that makes it clear that he's talking spiritually. Jump in again at verse 60. When many of his disciples heard this. Now, let me pause here to say when it says disciples here, there's two different ways the word disciple is used. The primary meaning of disciple is someone who follows someone else. They follow their teaching. They follow their example. Okay, and it doesn't mean that they are. uh, It it can be somebody at various levels of commitment. Put it that way. Um, When we talk about the 12 disciples, they are firmly committed. But he had a lot of people that followed him that were his disciples that were not firmly, firmly committed. All right. So when many of his disciples, many of the people who had been following him, heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? All right? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? There's a couple of different ways that could be meant. He says, you're taking offense because I said this? What's going to happen when you see me crucified? Or what's going to happen when you see me crucified, resurrected, and ascended into heaven? You know, you're having a hard time believing this. That's going to be even more phenomenal, more supernatural, more uh, unbelievable. Verse 63, it is the spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words I have spoken to you are spirit and life. Another time to say, listen, I'm talking about spiritual things. I'm not talking about fleshly things. I'm not talking about literally eating my body, drinking my blood. It's an example of spiritual things. Verse 64, but there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was that would betray him. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it's granted to him by the Father. After this, many of the disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? There's where we get the title of our lesson from. You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you, the twelve? And yet one of you is a devil. He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. Okay, it's a lengthy passage, but it gives the background to what's going on here. You know, the people want what they can get from Jesus. Jesus tries to steer them to something much better the spiritual life that he offers, and they just keep wanting their physical needs met. And so he says something that rattles their cage, and it's like, that's just too hard to accept, too hard to understand. We're leaving, all right? So, you know, it's really sad when you have people under your ministry leave the Lord. And I can say that from experience, and you can probably say that from experience too. People that you've known, people that you've had relationship with, people perhaps that you've poured into their lives, and they... They they seem to have, at least, or maybe they really did have a passion for God, and you see that cool, and they walk away from their relationship. It's really, really sad to see that happen. But, you know, even Jesus had that happen. This is an example of that. A very important point, it's not the main point of what we're going to look at tonight, but I put it on your note sheet, and it's, this is the first thing you've got to fill in the blank here. Jesus always told the truth, not just what people wanted to hear. Okay? And there's an example in that for us Um, there's an example in there for preachers and teachers you need to tell the truth and as I talked about on Sunday the whole truth not just the positive part and not just the negative part gotta have the balanced perspective of all of God's word all of the truth okay and not just tell people what they want to hear but that's true not just for preachers and teachers it's true for all of us you know we need to tell the truth not just what people want to hear now in this story, we see these people that basically are not willing to give what Jesus says a real intense look. Why is it that people sometimes have a hard time understanding God's word? What is it that keeps people from understanding God's word? I mean, in this story, it's Jesus is communicating, and they keep acting like, we don't know what you're talking about, just give us bread. You know, What is it that keeps people from understanding God's word? They don't understand the spirit. They don't understand the spirit. Okay. They don't have the spirit like the yeah Paul talks about that a little bit in Corinthians yeah. you know that spiritual things are discerned spiritually you know and, and so to be honest with you and Jesus said that in this passage he says you know you, the father needs to kind of open their eyes open their ears yeah. give them understanding draw them to himself um, and that is definitely very very true I also I also have a feeling though I really believe that this is the case that in this case there were some people that if they'd given a little bit more attention God would have Shown them. Okay. What are some other reasons people don't understand? Lynn. Mm -hmm. I agree with you. That's that's kind of a rephrasing of what Sonny had said, too. Yeah. You know, um, they were not responding to the Spirit of God. You know? Um, I think there's an aspect here, too, of that, you know, there's a principle in Scripture that the more that we seek God and seek to understand his truth— and to live by the truth that we have, the more God gives us. And the opposite is just the op- is, is true, too. The more we ignore God, the more we resist his spirit, the more that we refuse to pay attention, to respond, um, the less we will understand. Uh, a preacher that I like to listen to, he's a preacher, teacher, he writes some books and stuff, he calls it the dimmer switch principle. <laughs> the more light you accept and you, the more you'll have, you know, and the less you have, the less, you know, and, and, and I think that's why it's so important, you know, we can't coerce people and, and, and we, we are to try to persuade people to understand the truth and respond to it, but we can't force them. We shouldn't force, and we definitely don't want to manipulate them. But, you know, sometimes people have the attitude of, well, I'll deal with it later, You know, down the road, I'll accept Christ and stuff. But you know, the more that you refuse the working of the Holy Spirit, the less likely you will be to respond later. Because, as Paul says, our our consciences become seared. They become hardened. Our hearts become hardened. Now, there's always hope. There's always hope. But I think it's much harder for somebody to respond to Christ the longer they wait with an active resistance than if they would respond earlier. I think I, I see a hand over here. No? Okay. All right, so... Let's jump into here. Um, We'll talk a little bit more about people not understanding God's word and what keeps them from responding to it anyway uh, in a little bit. But I see in this story three types of disciples, okay? Um, First of all, you have those who follow a while but turn back. Those who follow a while but they turn back. And that's the group that we see in verse 66. After this, many of his disciples, again, talking about people that had been following him, not saying they committed their lives to him and 100% were going forward with you, but they had been following him, all right, interested in him. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So they started out well, but they dropped out. Why did these people leave? Because what? Their motives were wrong. What were their motives? What Jesus can give me, right? And in the immediate context, is he's feeding us. We want more. Okay. Yeah, I like that, that saying. They were seeking God's hand rather than his face, you know. All right. Any other reasons you can think of why they left? Lynn. Mm-hmm. We're going to talk about that in a minute. But go ahead. What are you going to say? They were not receptive. That's right. That's right. Their heart was not receptive. In this story, I see a couple of reasons. Um, the one they state, and it is true. Uh, letter A on your note sheet: Jesus's teaching is hard to understand and accept. Okay, not all of his teaching. In fact. Most of the time, he tried to make his teaching as simple as possible, and he'd tell parables. He'd tell stories to make it easier to understand for those that were receptive. In fact, he even told his disciples that one of the reasons he used so many parables is that people who were receptive, people who were willing to listen and follow, would understand it, but those who were coming for the wrong reason, who had a hard heart, would not understand what he was talking about. Okay, And so sometimes, Jesus' teaching is hard to understand and accept. But isn't that true of all of God's teaching? I shouldn't say all. Isn't that true in general about God's teaching? Sometimes there are things that are hard to understand. And, And the question is, what are we going to do with that? These people decided to quit trying to understand. Quit trying to make an effort. All right? Let me ask you a question. Have you had all your questions about God and theology and the Bible answered? No. And neither have I, you know, and I've had quite a bit of education in the area as part of, you know, my my path in life. And uh, I don't know about you, but I still come across new questions <laughs> and I love researching them. And sometimes I'll research a question, and I'll get an answer that totally satisfies me. And sometimes I'll research a question and I'll get an answer. It's like, OK, I can see that, um, but it's not 100 percent satisfying or whatever. And not just with questions about truth, but about the way God does things. I mean, how many times it's like, God, why are you doing that? God, why is this happening? Especially to me. (laughs) You know, why are you not answering or why are you not answering the way I want you to, especially not now? And, you know, when I talk to people that struggle with these questions, well, how do you deal with this in the Bible? How do you deal with that? And, you know, some of the things in the Old Testament where God's telling them to do this, that and the other, you know, And, and I've got some answers to some of those things. But here's what I've come down to, and this really helps when you've chosen to follow Jesus over the long haul. Is that when people ask me, I say, you know what? I don't have all the answers, and I don't understand everything. In fact, if I did have all the answers, and I could understand everything, I'd be God, and I'm not God. But I've gotten enough answers, and I've understood enough. And looking back, I can see a lot of things I didn't understand then that it gives me the faith to trust God even when I don't understand him. Okay? And that's what it comes down to. When someone who at least shows some kind of interest in Jesus and God and they come across things that well I don't understand this, this 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 is you know, okay, are you going to give up or are you going to keep researching it? And because of what you already have experienced of the goodness of God and what you already understand about God, are you just going to trust him? You know, are you just going to trust him? And that's basically what they did. They said, we're not going to. It's just too hard. You know, not really wanting or willing to put forth an effort, Um, not responding to whatever, you know, God's spirit is trying to speak to them and draw them. And so they walk away because it's too hard. It's too hard. The second one, letter B, Jesus is no longer meeting my needs. I put it that way on purpose because I've heard people say things like that, similar to that. You know, isn't that it? We want bread. Jesus gave us bread yesterday. OK, now he doesn't want to give us the bread we want. He wants to give us some other kind of spiritual bread. you know? But obviously I' say it's sad because I've seen people that they were willing to follow Jesus as long as He was doing things their way, as long as they got what they wanted, but when things weren't going their way, well, Jesus is no longer meeting my needs. What are some things that uh, go ahead, Bert, what are we going to say? That's right. You know, that's you just, I'm going to say it again so, for the recording, but that's true of human relationships too. There are times that people will have a relationship with you because of what they can get from you. Once they're not getting that from you, they're gone. Now, what are some things that perhaps people today would think that they can get from God, and so therefore they pursue spiritual things or whatever, but they'll only do it so far, and then they quit? What are some things that they hope to get or they, they get from God? Amanda. Glory. Glory. Okay. What else? Jose. In other words, because of God's mercy and grace, he gives them something they need. But then when they've got it, it's like, well, I don't need God anymore. Right. And then going to take that a little bit further, when God works in somebody's life and meets their need and gives them either something physically, financially, or just emotionally, peace or whatever. And then he allows something difficult to come along. It's like, well, whoa, wait a minute, God. You know, I didn't sign up for the hard stuff. And so they're gone. Okay. letter C on your note sheet is Jesus isn't the type of savior I want. We've said this many times in Jesus's day they were looking for a savior. They were looking for the Messiah, but they were looking for the guy that was going to go kick the Romans out and they were going to establish and the Messiah would establish God's kingdom, make everything right, and make sure everybody had enough to eat and all that kind of stuff and they had, you, you may or may not remember this, but the day before when he fed the 5000, the reason Jesus sent his disciples away and he went up into the hills to pray was because the people were saying, "Let's make him the king. Let's make him the king." And he says, Guys, get out of here. I'm taking off. Y'all go home. Because he didn't want... That's what, not what he came to do. Okay? And so when they see him the next day, it's like, Okay, Jesus, same thing. Give us the food. We're going to make you... Get, you know, all that kind of stuff. And No, I'm not going to do that. I came across this illustration. I thought it was pretty cool. It says, During the Gulf War, one soldier who had been in the military for many years sued to get out of the army. Do you know what his defense was? I signed up for the army during peacetime. No one told me I might have to go and fight. But, you know, that's the way people are sometimes with God. It's like, God, I want to give my life to you as long as the good stuff keeps coming and you're helping me and this, that, and the other. But when difficulties come, that's it, right? Now, I'm not asking you to show your hands or to respond in a verbal way, but have you ever turned back in your relationship with God? You know, I've heard lots of testimonies. People have grown up in church and, and really, honestly, had a passion for Jesus and stuff and then just decided to walk away from it for a while. You know, I've known of people in our church that that's what they did when they were younger, and then they came back to the Lord. And, and, and I'll be honest with you, not that that's a good thing, but that gives me a lot of hope for people that I know that started out with a relationship with God and they walked away. There's still hope. Yeah, Tim, you going to say something? That's true. What's one of the reasons why people walk away is that everything seems to be going fine, but then when they need something, want something from God, and they don't get it, They think or say or are convinced or are deceived into believing that God doesn't care. Again, it comes down to are we going to trust God? Not just when things are going the way we want them to, but when he says something else is is better, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it is. It is. But, you know, even if we've never turned back in our relationship with God, there's probably times we've wrestled with it. You know, we've wrestled with it. You know, Lynn mentioned earlier, this is on your note sheet, the parable of the soils illustrates these type of people. And we don't have time to dig deeply into that because we're getting close to the end of our time already. But I think most of us are probably familiar with that. It's found in Matthew 13, Mark 4, and Luke 8. And Jesus says that this is basically the way people are. Um, It's like a sower, a farmer sowing seed in a field. And this was a typical field at that time. You know, where you've got good soil, you've got places where there's weeds and thorns and stuff that are growing around the edges. Um, you've got uh, the soil was relatively thin in places, so you could have rocks underneath an inch or two of soil that you don't see uh, immediately. And, um, and then you've got the path on the side of the field that, or going down the middle of the field that's just hard because it's traveled on all the time. And he says the sower sows the seed, and the way they sow the seed, they put their hand in that bag and they just throw it out there. And, you know, some would land on the hard soil, and it doesn't even have a chance to do anything. The birds just come down and snatch it up. You know, some lands on the soil that has rocks under the surface. And, and um, because of that, it actually may have a little bit more water because the water gets trapped on top of that rock. And so it'll grow quick. But because the soil is not very deep, when the sun shines down, you know, and it gets hot, the plants bake because the the, the, the the roots aren't deep, okay? And so the plants die, and then seed will grow, uh, fall in a place where there's other type of seed, thorns or weeds or whatever, and they grow up together, and it does fine until the weeds and the thorns choke it out, you know? And then, of course, the seed that uh, is sown on the good ground does well. And we see in this the reason why people don't respond to God's word. If there's a hard heart, Jesus interprets it for the disciples as, you know, when the heart is hard, the enemy can just take that truth away before they even begin to understand it. You know, he says some, you know, there's shallow soil uh, and indicates kind of a shallow commitment. I think this fits a lot. The story we're looking at tonight and um, it grows well for a while. But when things get tough, tough situation, tough truth or whatever, I don't want to hear this. I don't want to experience this. That's it. And then the third type um, is not necessarily illustrated in this story, but it's a very real thing, too. He says the the seed that's sown where the weeds and the thorns and stuff grow up with it and choke it out. He says that's when cares and concerns of life, pleasures and riches, they choke out the life of the word because the focus is more on that than it is on, on the word. Okay, And we see examples of this in Scripture. You know, the rich young ruler... You know, he had a good inclination. He came to Jesus. What does it take? And Jesus says, hey, you know, had the whole conversation. You're doing pretty good. Just leave everything behind and follow me. The riches of the world kept him from it, choked him off. You know, there's a fellow that Paul uh, traveled with for a time and was a close friend of his. And uh, he decided to leave Paul. 2 Timothy 4.10, Paul says, Demas is in love with this present world. He's deserted me. You know, He he, he had had a thing for the things of God, traveled with Paul, but then decided he'd rather have the world. And so he left. So again, it's sad for people who are exposed to the truth, but they're deceived into thinking there's something better. I thought of this illustration. It's sort of like a child, and they have the opportunity um, to pick whatever coins they want. And they might pick a shiny penny rather than a dirty quarter (laughs) because it's shinier, you know. Or they might pick a nickel instead of a dime because it's bigger. You know, that's all just this is the wrong sense of value. But, you know, that's the way the devil is with God's truth. He he, he has us use the wrong standard of value. Uh, Jeremiah 2.13. I'm kind of moving along now because we're running out of time. But, unfortunately, the rest of it is a little bit shorter. But, Jeremiah 2.13, God is speaking through his prophet to the people in the Old Testament. But the truth is true all the time. My people have committed two evils. They've forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, And hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. He says, I offer them like a spring of water that's always fresh. And they'd rather dig a hole in the ground to store up stale, rancid water. And it won't even stay in there because it's cracked and it's all leaking out. That's what it's like when we walk away from what God offers us for what the world offers. Okay? Uh, The second type of follower are those who continue to follow but never truly believe. Those who continue to follow but never truly believe. We see that example in Judas. Verses 70 and 71, Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you, the twelve, and yet one of you is a devil? He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, is going to betray him. Now think about this. There's no indication that Judas ever truly, truly, truly believed. I mean, he functioned as a disciple. Jesus even gave him power. It was Jesus's power. It wasn't Judas's. Just like today, any power we have, from God, it's from God. It's not ours. But Jesus gave him power. He was able to cast out demons and heal the sick and all that kind of stuff. Why did Judas stick around if he wasn't truly a follower in his heart? I mean, he had everybody fold except for Jesus. Why did he stick around? What would you say, Amanda? It looked good. There could have been that. Yeah, he was popular. And in a very real way, again, what is it that everybody's hoping Jesus is going to be? The Messiah, but he's the one that's going to kick Romans out. And so he's probably thinking Jesus is the Messiah. I mean, Peter and all the rest of them thought the same thing. They're always fighting over who's going to sit on Jesus's place of authority. You know, And, Judah, and when things started going to where it's like, that's not the way it's going to go. That's when Judas began to have second thoughts. Okay, So he was in it for the wrong motivation. But we also know that he was the treasurer, right? Green. Yeah, so greed and what he could get from it. You know, do people today stick around spiritual things in church and all that kind of stuff without truly believing? Sure. To make your spouse, your mom, your dad, somebody happy for the power and influence. I don't think it's so much true anymore today, although it could be. I've heard of people in the past anyway that would go to church because a good place to make business contacts. You know? know What? You know a man that does that now? Don't say his name. You know, there are certain occupations you could have where if you made some good connections, maybe it'd make you some money. Anything in sales, you know, real estate or car salesman, you know, or, or whatever, you know, um, for the ego trip, you know, whatever. There's a lot of different reasons why people might go to church and hang around spiritual people without having a real commitment. Okay. Um, anyway, we got to wrap this up. So let's zip through the rest. The third one, those who follow to the end. Those who followed to the end. That's what represented by what Peter said here. You know, after these big group of disciples turned and walked away, verse 67, Jesus said to them, do you want to go away as well? In the original language, it says, you don't want to go away as well, do you? Because there's a ways of asking questions that assumes a no answer or a yes answer. This one assumes a no answer. He says, "I, I know you guys. You really don't want to. But he's giving them an opportunity to think about it, make a decision, and vocalize it. Do you want to go away as well? And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We've believed and come to know that you are the Holy One of God, okay? Now, did they decide to stay with him because they understood everything Jesus said? No. I guarantee you they didn't understand anybody better than anybody else, all right? So why did they stay? Was it because they didn't have any other choices? No. We've already talked about the fishermen were basically considered kind of middle class, and there weren't very many middle class people at that time. There were really poor people and very, very few rich people. They had a good life, Okay? So it wasn't because they didn't have any other choices; they stayed because, even though they didn't understand everything, it's what Jesus did, who Jesus was, and what he what he meant to them, and what he offered them. On your note sheet, I have it this way: they may not understand everything, but they see the value of what they have in Christ. Okay. Okay. Why is that? Oh, okay. We've tasted and seen that the Lord is good. We've had some of that spiritual bread. We realize that it really is better than the physical bread, right? OK, Amen. Um, I like this saying, we may not understand the wise of life, but we can know the one who does. Yes. Yeah. Peter's declaration was a statement of faith, not a claim of complete understanding. You know, G- Jesus is the only source of eternal life. It's like he said, Lord, we've lived with you. We've heard you teach. We've seen your character. We don't always understand. We don't always like it. But you're the source of life. You know, later, Peter's going to say in Acts 4.12, there's salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. But let me wrap this up because we're gone over time. Jesus has more to offer than this world. It's on your note sheet there. Amen. You know, one time Peter said to him, Lord, we left everything. <laughs> what are we going to get? I mean, he's human, right? Matthew, uh, I'm sorry, Mark 10, 28 to 30. Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mothers, mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. He says, There's nothing you've sacrificed for me that I will not repay you eternally, but even in this life. It will be worth it all. Okay. All right. So conclusion, how do we apply this lesson? Okay. Um, first of all, examine your heart. Why are you following Jesus? Only you can know that. And sometimes we can be self-deceived. You say, God, why am I following you? Am I following you for the right reason? Do we have a true commitment or will we leave if things get difficult? Are we following but only for our own purposes? Second one is examine your heart. Is there anything drawing you away from Christ? And this is something we need to take more seriously, I think, than sometimes we do. Because no matter how committed we are, if we drop our guard, the enemy can begin to try to draw us away. Now, I'm not trying to scare anybody. I'm not trying to say, if you're not careful, you're going to walk away from God without realizing it. No, it doesn't happen without realizing it. But maybe you've already experienced this. As I said, I'm not asking you to give a testimony that at one time you loved the Lord, then you walked away from that relationship in its fullness, and now you're back. So we need to keep our guard up, okay? And and just stick with God even when you don't understand what's going on. You don't understand everything. The third thing is we can rejoice because in Jesus we have eternal life. Jesus is the only one who can give what really matters. Unfortunately, we're going to have to cut this off and close in prayer. But as we close in prayer, I want us to not only pray for ourselves and whatever God spoke to us about, but let's pray specifically for people who've walked away from the Lord and from people that are drifting. And maybe you've got some names in your mind. So as we pray, why don't you lift those to the Lord? I've got some names in my mind, too. Father God, we come to you tonight thankful, Lord God, for your word that teaches us and encourages us. And Lord, we don't understand everything in your word, but we thank you for that which you help us to understand. I thank you that you help us to learn and grow as long as our hearts are open and not hard and we're not resistant. Help us, Lord God, to have soft, pliable, open hearts. Uh, Help us to hear your voice more clearly, to follow your leading when you speak to us. Open your word to us, Lord God, and, Lord, the things that we don't understand, both in your word and in life. Help us to trust you. Help us to stay strong. Help us, Lord God, not to be drawn away or pushed away from you in any way. Help us to keep our guard up. And tonight as we close, Lord, we pray for those that people that we know, Lord God, that they've walked away from what they've had with you, Lord. They've drifted away. They've they pursued other things. Maybe there are those that are drifting now or just starting the process. Lord, I pray that they would wake up and 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 get back where they need to be, Lord God. And if there is anybody in this room or listening to this recording later, that that's them, Lord, may they cry out to you now and stop that um, drift away from you and come back to a place of closeness, Lord God. Father, we just thank you and praise you, Lord God, for your goodness to us. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. We hope you've enjoyed listening to today's message or Bible study. For more information, please contact us at area code 352-347-3001 or visit us online. If you are interested in supporting this ministry, go to our website and click on the online giving tab. Our website address is www.marionoaksag.org.